I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Let's start by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, we pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, teach us from your word to be more like Jesus. That's our aim. That's our goal as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be like Jesus. So Lord, teach us today to be like Jesus and give us hearts willing to obey your word so that we would conform our lives to the life of Jesus Christ. Now, these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 18. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 148 in the pew Bible. Page 148 in the pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we invite you to take that pew Bible with you as our gift. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so take it and use it, and you'll be edified by it. Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 18. You know, gracious giving has always characterized the church of the living God. Gracious giving has always, always characterized the church of God. I'm often reminded, I love the story, the Roman emperor Julius, the apostate. He was named the apostate because after Constantine made Rome or Christianity the, the national religion of the Roman Empire, Julius tried to take it back to paganism. And so he tried to get rid of, of Christianity and go back pagan, but he despised Christians and one of his greatest complaints against Christians was their gracious giving. He once said, Why do we not observe that it is Christians' benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism? Atheism there meaning the belief in their pagan gods. For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg... The impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. So them dadgum Christians, they just, they're too generous. They're too generous. They're messing up my program. How can I get rid of paganism with that generous Christians giving all the, their money away and taking care of the poor and needy? Generous giving, gracious giving has always characterized the church of Jesus Christ. And so it should. In fact, as we come to today's text, we see that this is an expectation of God. God expects his people to be gracious givers. Now we're coming to this section, and let me remind you of where we are. Deuteronomy chapter 14 through 14 verse 22 all the way through 16 17 is this next little section in Moses sermon to the people of Israel and here he is focusing in on the fourth commandment you shall observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy and if you remember back when we were 
looked at that, that commandment, we said that this has to do with respecting God's rights and privileges. Respecting God's rights and privileges because God, God has the right as our creator, our sustainer, and especially as our savior, from a Christian standpoint, as our savior, God has a right to have a day reserved to worship him to come together as the church, to focus on God, and to spend time together in corporate worship of God. God has that right. That's a right of God. And so he calls us to observe the Sabbath day, and for us that's Sunday, to come together as a people and worship the Lord our God. And that's just one of the privileges, right? That's just one of the rights of God. And this section here kind of goes into some more rights and privileges of God. Last week we looked at God's right to demand a tithe of his people. He causes people to tithe. He is a gracious God and he, he is the owner of everything. Everything in the universe is his. Whatever we have is his. He only gives it to us, right, out of a, a grace, as a gracious gift to us. So everything that you and I own, it all belongs to God. God allows us to keep 90%. He just wants us to willingly, right? He doesn't, he doesn't come down and, and force us to do this, but, but he asks us to give back 10% of all that he has already given us. He asks us to give 10% back to him for the work of the ministry, and God has a right to do that. As cosmic owner of everything, he has a right to demand 10% be given back to the work of the ministry, the ministry of the gospel. And so we want to be good tithers. We want to obey God, and we want to uh, joyfully give back to God a portion of what he has already given to us and so that is a right and privilege of God now this week we kind of continue on or we continue on and this week we learn that we are to give graciously to those in need that's the message of this text today give graciously to those in need God has a right to require his people encourage his people to give graciously to those in need so today I want to show you from our text four principles of the kind of gracious giving that God requires of his people. Four principles of gracious giving which God requires of his people. And hopefully this will encourage all of us to be gracious givers. There's a lot of gracious givers in here already. I know that. Uh, but I want to encourage that and continue to encourage that from all of us here. So Let's work through this text this morning because it is a longer text, so we're just going to work through it bit by bit as we go through here. So as we begin to, to look at our text this morning, the first principle of gracious giving that we see here is that we are called to give charitably. We are called to give charitably. Uh, that is, we're to give to the poor and needy. That's the focus here of this section of Scripture it's focused in on the poor and needy. Look at verses 1 through 8. Let me just start there. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. We'll come back to that. We'll grant the release every seven years. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you. 
Now, he's getting to the ideal here. That's, that's what, when he says that. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for your inheritance to possess. If, here's the condition, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised as he promised you and you shall lend to many nations but you shall not borrow and you shall rule over many nations but you shall not rule they shall not rule over you if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Now, as we look at this text this morning, he's talking about the sabbatical year. He, when he talks about the year of release, this is the sabbatical year. Uh, the sabbatical year was something that God's already set up with his people. He set that up back in uh, one of the previous books of the, the law. But the sabbatical year was a year of release. And so the sabbatical, for the sabbatical year, they were to work and do everything for, seven, for six years. And then on the sabbatical year, the year of release, one, they were to let their land rest. And so on the sabbatical year, they weren't supposed to plow their fields or do anything. They could harvest what came up naturally and use that, but they were to allow the land to rest. In addition to that, the sabbatical year was the year of rest, the year of jubilee. It was the year that they would forgive debts. Now, the focus here is not just any debt, right? It's not like a business loans and stuff like that. That's why he says now you can exact it from a foreigner, right? You might be in a business deal with someone outside the nation, and that might be a thing. But what he's focusing on here in the year of release is debt that was assumed because of poverty, because of a situation. Uh, a brother or a sister in Christ ha has come into a place, they've, they've come upon hard times. And, and now they've had to borrow from their neighbor. So let's think of it like this. Think it, this is a, a farming community, right? Israel was a farming nation. They, they depended on farming. And there were no crop, there wasn't crop insurance. And so you, you're a farmer, you're out here, you're, you're raising your wheat, you're raising your barley, but something happens, a catastrophe happens. Your fields catch on fire, and in all of your year's produce burns up, right? What are you to do? Because there's no insurance to pay you, right? There's nothing, there's no food for your family's table. What do you do? You go to your brother. You go to your neighbor, and you say, look, I need to borrow enough wheat to get my family through this year and, and so you borrow from your neighbors and you you work to pay that back you work to pay it back over the years you're, you're working to to pay that debt back but maybe you have some more hard years because sometimes those hard years come one after the other maybe you have some more hard years and before you know it you're six years in and and you're unable to pay back the full loan and what happens on the year of jubilee God says the, the creditor is to forgive the debt. Let it go. It's to be a charitable gift, 
right? There's a brother or sister who is in need. They had a need. You provided for that need. You had an abundance, so you were able to provide for that need. So instead of demanding that they pay that back and and try to get every dime that you loan them back, he says you're to release it. You're to give it graciously. You're to give charitably. You're to give to those who are in need. Now, all the commentators seem to agree that there were such things as business loans and other kinds of loans, and that's not what is the focus here. The focus here is on the poor and the needy, people in the community who have come along hard times. They've come along hard times. They're struggling. They're not being able to make it. What do you do? You don't look at them harshly, but you give them grace. You look at them graciously, and you give charitably. You're to give charitably. God calls his people to give to the poor and the needy, to give to those who are in need. When we have been blessed with such an abundance, how can we look on others who are in need and turn away from them? God calls us to give graciously to those who are in need. We're to be charitable givers. Now, notice here, the focus here is on the poor and needy. Not the wanting, but the needy, right? Not the wanting. We're we're not to fulfill everybody's ever wanting desire, uh, but we're to address needs. There has to be a need. Furthermore, it's not the idle, but the unable that we're to look after. We're to give generously to the one who are unable Second Thessalonians tells us this. Second Thessalonians three ten through twelve. For even when we were with you, we would give you this commandment: If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Christ Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, we have to understand that there are a lot of people in our world around us who are just idle, right? They want something for nothing, and they're able, right? They're able to work, they're able to earn, but they don't want to. We're not to concern ourselves with that. We also realize that there are some people who are able, but they've come along hard times. And they're struggling, and they're trying to dig out of that pit, right? But they're, they're struggling, and, and, and they want to get out of that, that place. That's who we're to reach out to. Those are the ones we are to help. We're to help those who are truly in need, who are unable to provide for themselves, unable to get out of that pit. We're to focus on the poor and needy. We're to give charitably to the poor and the needy. Now, when we think about that, uh, we can look, especially in our culture today, we are a very global culture uh, because we can see people and see things that are going on around the world. And when we look at the world, we see a lot of poverty. We see a lot of need and billions of dollars will not address and take care of all the need that is out in the world. And so what are we to do? 
Because I don't have billions in my checking account to, to give. What am I to do with what little God has given me? What the little abundance that uh, he has given me? What are we to, how are we to address the poor and needy? How are we to give? Are we just to, to give everything and uh, to anyone and everyone or what? Well, I think scripture teaches us a principle of charitable giving here. And I call this the, the principle of concentric circles of charitable giving. All right, the concentric circles of charitable giving. And so this will kind of help us and guide us in our charitable giving. Uh, this kind of defines the range of our giving, how we should think about giving to those who are in need. And it begins with the family. It begins with the family. And he says that, right? Your concern is with your neighbor, your brother, your fellow Israelite. And so that begins with the family. New Testament tells us this, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, but if, but if anyone in the church there, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty serious, isn't it? If someone sees someone in their own family who has a need and they have the ability to address that need and turns away from that family member, they're like an unbeliever. They've denied the faith and they're like an unbeliever. That's pretty serious stuff. We're called, first and foremost, to address those closest to us we're to help those in our family who might have a need. So someone in your family might have a, a need. They may have a surgery coming up and they can't pay for it. What are you to do? Well, you, you might help them pay for that surgery. There's someone in your family, they've come along hard times. What are you to do? You might help them get out of those hard times. So it begins with the family. That's the first place that you look to give charitably. Second is the church. Second is the church, the local body of believers. And we see this principle throughout the New Testament. We see it here in the Old Testament, right? Because that's the focus there. Give it to the, your neighbor, those around you, uh, those in the community of faith. And it carries on into the New Testament in the church. Acts chapter 4, verses 34 through 35 says this was the, the general nature of the first church there in Jerusalem. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed each as any had need. So they went as far as selling off property, selling off possessions to take care of the need within the church. Now, we don't necessarily have to do that. Maybe God leads us to do that sometimes, but we don't necessarily have to sell off everything that we own and throw it into a community pot and live off of that. We see in Corinthians, they didn't practice like that. Galatians, the church in Galatia didn't do that. But uh, that might be some, you know, sometimes that might come up. But we're, we're taking care of those in the community of faith. We look to those in the church. So when we have a church member who's having a hard time, they're, they're going through something, and they have a, a need, we are there to address that need, to pitch in, and to help them through that time 
of need. So your family, then your church, Galatians chapter 6, 10 also tells us this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So family, church, and third, neighbor. Third, your neighbor. Now, who is your neighbor? Well, someone asked Jesus that very same question, right? In in Luke chapter 10, they said, Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan. You remember that? So there was a man who had gone down, and he was walking down the road, and he fell amongst some thieves, and they whooped up on him. That's the southern translation. They whooped up on him, and they left him for dead. And he was there laying in the ditch, Laying there, left to die, and along came a priest. And the priest looked at him and said, whoop, whoop, I don't want to get involved in that. Let me go over here to the other side of the road. And he went on the other side of the road and went around him and left him for dead. And then a Levite came by, and the Levite saw him and said, whoop, whoop, I don't want any part of that. Let me go over here on the other side of the road, and I'm just going to pretend he's not there. And he walked on down the road. And then a Samaritan of all people. A crossbred, despised Samaritan. That's the way way the Jews saw the Samaritans. A crossbred, despised Samaritan came along and looked at this Jewish man who probably despised him for his race, right, because of who he was. He looked at him and he saw a need. And he picked him up. He patched him up. He put him up in the inn. And he paid for all of his medical expenses. And Jesus looked at the crowd and said, Now who proved to be this man's neighbor? And the answer came back, the one who showed him mercy. That old Samaritan, despised by the Jews, was the loving, merciful neighbor who helped out the person in need. So your neighbor is anyone that God puts in your path that has a need that you can meet that need, that's your neighbor. Anyone that God puts in your path, and they have a need, and you can fulfill that need, you can meet that need, that is your neighbor. We are to look out for our family, we're look out for our church, and we're look to look out for our neighbor. No, we can't, we can't solve the poverty problem across the world, but we can help those right around us. When we see a need, We're to give charitably. God's people are called to give charitably. Second, God expects his people to give joyfully. God expects his people to give joyfully. You know, the the condition of your heart when you give, that is more important to God than the gift itself. Did you know that? It is. And we see that even here in our text. First of all, we note here that we're a begrudging attitude, right? A begrudging heart is sin. Look at verse 9. Take care, lest there be any unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, right? The year of Jubilee, the year of release is near. And and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and cry and he cry to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin a begrudging heart a begrudging heart even a heart that gives but gives grudgingly is sin before God 
It is sin. We shouldn't look at our poor brother begrudgingly. We're not to look down upon them. We're not to despise them because of the condition they're in. Right? Uh, they're not, they don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. But that's where they are. That's their situation. And we're not to, be, uh, we're not to grudge them that. We're not to look down upon them for that. A begrudging attitude is sin before God. But... A cheerful attitude, a cheerful attitude is blessed by God. Look at verses 10 and 11. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when, he, when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will be, never be uh, poor uh, there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. We're to give joyfully. We're to give joyfully because the Lord blesses. The Lord blesses the joyful, the cheerful giver. He blesses those who give out of the joy of their hearts. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul tells us this very same thing in the New Testament. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. You see, here's the thing. When we give cheerfully, when we give joyfully, because we realize that God has blessed us so, and now we get the opportunity, right? We have an opportunity to share God's love with someone else. When we give joyfully, man, God blesses that. God blesses that. God blesses it. Now, again, this is not health and wellness, right? And this is not, hey, man, if you give this guy over here $100, God's going to give you back 1000 No, no, that's not what he's saying here. That's not what Moses is saying. That's not what the Scriptures say. Maybe, maybe the, the blessings of the Lord is likely not monetary, right? It's not going to come back monetary. Most likely, the blessings that we receive from God is joy joy in god being able to experience a piece of god's grace right giving as god has given to us giving that back to someone else man that brings joy that brings delight in a christian's heart man we are to give joyfully we're to rejoice in our giving. Don't be a begrudging giver. God loves a cheerful, joyful giver. So, dear Christian, give joyfully. Give joyfully. Christians are called to give charitably and joyfully. Third, we see from our text, Christians are called to give generously. You're called to give generously. Going on down there. Verses 12 through 14, look at, look at those verses. Starting in verse, uh, verse 12. Oh, by the way, you notice I said there earlier, that's the ideal. The ideal was there will be no, uh, no poor in the land. Uh, because if you obey the word of the Lord, 
and you give generously to your brothers and sisters who are poor and needy. All of this works out. There'll be no poor in the land. But now we get to reality. That's the ideal. But Moses is recognizing here that that ideal will never be met because there will never cease to be poor in the land. Though there will always be poor. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. You're to give to him liberally. Now, what's going on here? Uh, if you have to sell yourself to your brother, what, what's taking place here? He's talking about another aspect of that Israelite culture. You had the year of jubilee, the year of release. That had to do with debts. Now we're still focusing on the poor and needy, but now he's talking about uh, selling yourself into slavery. Now this is not the kind of slavery that we have in mind again with Americanized slavery. That was a bad thing. This is not uh, that kind of thing. This is not selling yourself into that kind of slavery where you're, you're living uh, oppressed under someone else. But this is more like indentured servitude. Indentured servitude. Again, here is a brother here is a sister who's come along hard times. Their crops failed. They, they have an economic crisis. They don't know how to feed their families. And so what do they do? Well, they come to their neighbor and they say, hey, well, guess what? I, I need help here. I need out of this spot. And so I'll tell you what. I'll make a deal with you. I'll come work for you. And you just help pay for my family's food, right? You just help me get food on my table, and I'll work for you as a servant for seven years, six years. And so it, that was kind of thing. So here was a need, and so now we're going to work so that I can support my family and keep up my farm over here that I've kind of gone through some hard times and and everything's in jeopardy so uh, that's that's what we're talking about here this is not slavery this is more like indentured servitude but the whole thing was kind of like the year of jubilee they were to work six years to pay back that debt six years to to help pay back that debt but on the seventh year they were to be released they would be to let go free Back to their farm, back to their family land, back to uh, doing their own thing. And so that's what's in view here. But notice he says that we're to give generously. Even in this situation, we're to give generously. We're to give, they were to give liberally. When they, it came that year of release, they were not to let that person go empty-handed. Right, I paid back your debt, and now you just go back and do your thing. No, he's been here working and, and, and helping this guy produce and, and make a living, and now it's time for him to go back. Now you're to bless him and send him away full, 
right? You're to give him liberally. We're to give liberally out of the things that God has given us, the things that God has blessed us with. We're to give liberally to those who are in need. That's what they were to do, and that's what we're called to do. Not just kind of scratch the surface. Oh, well, I could afford to give you $20, but here's two, right? No, we're, we're to, to give what we can give. We're to give liberally from the wonderful blessings that God has given us. So we're to give liberally and we're to give as the Lord blesses. As the Lord has blessed you, you're to bless others. Look at the last part of verse 14. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to Him. So it's not just giving everything, right? But it's giving as the Lord has blessed you. It's not putting yourself in debt to help this person out of debt, but, but you're giving out of what God has blessed you. God has blessed you so well. God has blessed you with so much. And so you give abundantly. You give literally out of what God has given to you. We're to be generous givers. We're to be generous givers. You might remember a few years ago, uh, this kind of gets to generosity. About several years back, Mary Beth and I went to uh, up to Washington D.C. when my brother was living up there, and we were visiting, and and I got to go to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and Mark Devers, the pastor there, and he's one of the pastors that I, I listened to, and I've read his books and that sort of thing, and so we wanted to go see Mark Dever. Uh, funny thing, he wasn't preaching that Sunday, but anyway, he was there, and so I got to meet Mark Dever. And uh, as we were leaving out, Marybeth and I, we, we went by the door that he was standing there shaking hands, and, and we got to talking, and uh, it came up, of course, that I was a pastor down in Arkansas then, because it was when we were up in Arkansas. But uh, before I left, uh, Dever got one of his, his uh, helpers there, a guy who worked for him, and he said, hey, why don't you, you go and uh, uh, fix this pastor up with some, some books? He's the editor of Nine Marks Publication, uh, which is a, they, they publish a lot of books that I like to read. So uh, he sends this guy back, back with me to their bookstore to hook me up with some books. And I thought, you know, well, I'm going to get two or three books, you know, that I've not read. Well, that's awesome. That, that's great. Well, wonderful. Man, they just kept pulling them out. Well, well, do you have this one? No, I don't have that one. Well, well, what about this one? Oh, I don't have that one either. And so still three or four books, man, I left with a case of books. I mean, I had to go buy extra bags to get all that stuff home because there were so many books. That was generous giving, right? They didn't have to give me all that books. I would have been happy with one or two books. But they gave me abundantly out of all the storehouses of things that God had given them. They gave abundantly. They gave generously. And that's where how we, are, we ought to give. Out of whatever God has blessed you with, Whatever it may be. Maybe you can't give thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars worth of books or whatever. But, but whatever it is that God has blessed you with, give abundantly. Give generously out of all that God has given to you. Dear Christian, think about all the wonderful blessings that God has blessed, bestowed upon you. Think about the abundance of goods He has given you. God's intention is that you would not hoard that stuff away, but to bless other people with it. Give generously. Christians are called to uh, give graciously, to be gracious givers. 
God wants us to give charitably, joyfully, generously, and fifth, God, no, fourth, sorry. I have an error in my notes. Fourth, God wants us to give gratefully. God wants us to give gratefully. Gratefully. Look at that last little section there. You shall remember, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because uh, he loves you in your household since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awe and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you, for at half the cost of a hired worker he has served you six years. So the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. Now, a little section there, he talks about what to do in case that indentured servant, uh, he likes it there, right? He likes what's going on. He likes the, uh, the ease that he is experiencing under his master's care. And so he wants to stick around and he deals with how to, to go through that. And, uh, but I want us to see here the focus on gracious giving. And we see here in this section uh, concerning gracious giving, we're to give gratefully. He reminds them, remember, remember, right? The reason you're a gracious giver, the reason you give charitably, the reason you give generously, the reason you give abundantly, the reason you are a gracious giver is because the Lord saved you. You were a slave in Egypt and He brought you out. He redeemed you. He bought you with a price and He redeemed you and He set you free and He gave you the land. He gave you the crops. He gave you an abundance. Remember your salvation and the Lord. The Lord was gracious to you. He graciously saved you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. But the Lord graciously saved you. He redeemed you. Therefore, be a gracious giver. Dear Christian, God graciously saved you. At the high price, the high price of His Son, Jesus Christ. How can we who have experienced such grace from God Look at those in need and turn a blind eye. You see, we don't give to win merit with God. We give because we've already gained God's grace. He's graciously given to us. Therefore, we graciously give to others we give because of God's saving grace but not only that we give also because of God's sustaining grace we give to his sustaining grace that's what he says in that last little verse there right he reminds us of God's saving sustaining grace so the Lord your God will bless you 
in all that you do. And actually, he says this several different times. Look at verse 4, look at verse 6, look at verse 10. He says this over and over, for the Lord will bless you in the land. For the Lord will bless you as he promised. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you do. The Lord will bless you. His sustaining grace It's not just His saving grace. We've experienced His saving grace, but also His sustaining grace. What He will do for us. What He will continue to do for us. See, we have that. We know that. We know God is going to continue to provide and continue to sustain us. Even in this life. Oh, and even so much more in the life to come. So we are to be gracious givers out of a grateful heart for all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Oh, be a grateful giver. Make sure you get the motive right. Make sure you get that motive right. We don't give, again, we don't give to win merit with God. We can never buy merit with God. It's all His anyway. We give because we've already experienced God's grace and mercy in His salvation through Jesus Christ and His provisions day by day. Give with a grateful heart. Church, I want you to hear the warning from the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 tells us this. But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Be a grateful, gracious giver. In response to God's loving grace, church, give graciously to those who are in need. Give gracious, be a gracious giver. Again, I know this church, and this church is full of gracious givers. You give generously time and time again, but don't let that spirit die. Don't ever let that spirit die. Always give graciously, but always out of a grateful heart to God and all that he has done for you. Now, we need to understand today, and I want to make sure we understand this, that you can never win favor with God right gracious giving will not save you gracious giving will never ever save you because you can't buy favor with god god's favor is freely given and it's freely given in his son jesus christ so if you you've never trusted in jesus christ if you don't have a relationship with jesus christ you can never truly experience gracious giving. At least not on the giving side of it, right? You can't become a gracious giver until you have experienced the gracious gift of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ came and he died for you. He gave his life for your sins so that you might be forgiven of your sins and gain eternal life in him. And he was raised three days later after he died and was buried. He was raised three days later showing that all your sin has been paid for. And if you trust in God, right, that's, that's the gift. God says, here's the gift. Here it is. All you have to do is to receive it. 
receive it by trusting in Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to him, and he will save you. That's where gracious giving begins. It begins by receiving that gift from Jesus. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, let today be the day that you turn away from your sin and turn to Christ and receive God's grace in him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord. Lord, from everything that you have provided for us day in and day out, Lord. Lord, we understand, especially here as Americans, we have an abundance. Lord, you have blessed us abundantly. Even the, the poor among us often have a, an abundance compared to the rest of the world. So, Lord, we thank you for the abundance that you have given to us. Lord, let us not hoard that away and neglect those who are in need around us. But, Lord, let us, let us be a part of your grace, giving to those whom you put in our lives, whether family, whether church, whether our neighbor. Let us be gracious givers. And therefore, demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ in this lost and dying world. Lord, if there's any today who've never trusted in Jesus, my hope and prayer is that today that they would see the gracious gift that you offer, that first gift, and trust in Christ and come to know you personally, intimately. Now these things I pray in Christ's name, amen.